before we kick into the brilliant next episode, I just want to remind listeners that I did record some of these episodes late last year um, and they are only being published now. So some of the timing might be off. Um, I also just want to acknowledge uh, Valentine's Day is coming up in two days time. I am going to be on Ireland AM as a guest talking about solo powered and talking about how living a solo life can be just as fulfilling and rewarding and happy and wonderful as um, those who are in relationships. If you are listening to this podcast, if you are single or a solo, and if you're maybe feeling a little bit sad about that, sometimes Valentine's Day can be a challenging time for people. Um, I just want to send you my love and let you know that you can absolutely buy yourself the most beautiful bouquet of flowers. Maybe buy yourself a nice piece of jewellery book yourself into a restaurant and go out for a fabulous solo meal do something wonderful take yourself on a beautiful solo date um i did that myself when i was living in paris in 2022 i lived in paris on valentine's day and i got dressed up in a big pink dress and i booked myself a tasting menu in a beautiful restaurant and i sat at the counter and i chatted to the chefs and i had one of the most wonderful probably the best valentine's day i've ever had um so please know that you are an amazing person and have incredible qualities and even if you are feeling a little bit sad that you don't have a relationship at the moment know that the best relationship you'll ever have is the one that you have with yourself so be kind to yourself and love yourself this valentine's day um also just to do a little shout out to lucy white from the sunday independent who reviewed the solo power podcast in this sunday's newspaper which i'm really appreciative of as well and i got um a lovely shout out so um i'm so happy for that um please by as always reach out to me and let me know um if there are any people that you'd like me to bring on to the podcast i'd love to hear your feedback also please hit the subscribe button it really helps with the podcast as well um this is a wonderful next episode which hopefully will be giving a lot of people out there uh some hope when it comes to solo parenthood as well so thank you very much and here's the next episode Hello and welcome to another episode of Solo Powered with me, Ariana Dunn. This is the podcast that celebrates doing things solo, whether that be solo travel, solo business, solo journey to parenthood, single by choice, solo adventures or solo pursuits of passion. Remember, this is not about living a lonely life. This is about living the most full life on your terms. I have talked quite a lot on this podcast about my own personal exploration of motherhood, about uh, considering various different options. Earlier on in the season, we had Clodagh O'Hagan on talking about her decision to have her beautiful baby boy, Frank, through donor insemination and, and donor, uh, donor donation. And um, in my thinking of what I would like to do about becoming a mother and having a baby, one of the options that I've been exploring is having a baby with a friend. Um, Anyone who's listened to the podcast will know I have lots of male gay friends who are in relationships, many of whom have talked about the idea of having babies themselves through surrogacy. Um, And so I've been talking and exploring this opportunity. In doing so, and in my research, I was Googling to try and find information about other people who had also gone down this path. And surprisingly, there was very little out there, except I was very fortunate to come across an article by a wonderful UK writer called Ellie Faison. Ellie uh, had written an article for The Telegraph. Uh, She, at the time, was eight months pregnant, uh, had a beautiful pregnancy bump, and was pictured with her friends, Eddie and Jack, a gay married couple who she had chosen to have a baby with. Um, Eddie is the the father of that child. The beautiful baby Sydney was born 16 weeks ago. Um, I reached out to Ellie because I was looking for some advice and she very kindly came back to me and we've had a few chats and I'm so excited now that she has agreed to come on the podcast to talk about her journey to motherhood and um, hopefully share some insights with me so I can learn a little bit more about it as well. So Ellie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're so welcome. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, look, tell me, I mean, you've just had your beautiful baby, Sydney, uh, sitting on your knee there just before we pressed record. He is so beautiful. I know we've chatted a bit already about how you're finding motherhood, but maybe take us back, if you will, and talk to us about how you first came about this kind of concept of having a baby with your friend. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So, um yeah, I'm single and have been for really quite a while. And I suppose I spent a lot of my early part of my 30s sort of getting drunk or going on terrible dates, getting drunk and, um, you know, having loads and loads of hilarious dating stories from my friends, but really not meeting anybody. And then in private, I was feeling, you know, really sad about that. Um, it was only much later as I was able to kind of decouple the idea of being in a relationship and having a baby. But at the time, I really was thinking, you know, I'm never going to meet anyone. And then, of course, there was loads of sort of like drunken conversations hanging out my flat window at after parties or ever saying, you know, with, with gay friends saying, oh, if we don't meet anyone by the time we're 40, we'll have a baby together. And I suppose that was kind of like the gem of the idea. And I know you know, I guess you've been in a similar position to me that I kind of felt like I'd missed out on this, you know, annual general meeting where all of my friends decided to get married and have children. And I was like, <laughs> why was I? I wasn't invited. And, you know, you, you sort of wake up one day and like you're not through choice on a path maybe to somewhere that you don't actually want to go. And, you know, in my sort of career as a writer, I'd always said to myself to always say yes to everything. And then you go on these wonderful adventures. But actually, unconsciously, I had sort of gone down a path where suddenly I looked around me and I was like oh I don't know if I want to be on this journey to maybe not being a mother and I definitely didn't want to not be a mother by accident so I wanted to explore that idea um and then I was really lucky uh, just before the pandemic I got invited to go to Everest um on a trek with loads of amazing women and actually one of my gay friends came as well um and on the trek I did set myself the kind of challenge of really seriously thinking about what I was going to do and I was 38 at that point and I really thought about it hard every day of that walk and actually the answer didn't really come to me on the way up but it did come to me on the way back down the way back down is almost harder than the way up because you don't have all that good vibes and energy and excitement getting you up it's just a long slog did um, you go to did you go to the top of Everest no so we went to Everest Base Camp wow amazing okay which was amazing and on that trip was another woman who actually was gay and she had had a baby with her um wife um through uh they had actually they didn't have um a sperm donor well they'd have a sperm donor but it was a friend rather than an unknown donor and um so I'd already sort of been thinking a little bit along that path and I really at that time it was exploring all options in my head like the main question I asked myself was did I really want to do it and then mm. you know once I'd sort of decided yes then the next question was how that would sort of take shape you know whether it would be was I brave enough to do it completely on my own did I want to have a you know how would I find a donor would it be a friend would it be you know there's all these sites you can sign up to online like how would I do it and I just sort of really came back from that trip knowing that that's something I wanted to explore and then the pandemic hit um and then you know there was all this sort of in the paper about how it's the pregnancy pandemic and mm. you know there's a new generation of children born called the coronials or something like that <laughs> um, but for single people you just suck stuck at home and like we let's not forget that it was actually illegal to have sex if you were single yeah didn't go out and meet anybody you know you were you know the government advice was like I don't know something like your best sexual partner is yourself or something so you know it was- well that's true anyway don't need a pandemic to tell me that exactly. Exactly. and then so I was 38 going into the pandemic and I was 40 coming out of it and so that was really felt like that was my last period of time when I might really naturally meet someone and conceive and you know, whereas before the pandemic, an option for me had really been like maybe I could do it by myself. And I was going in, my business was super strong. I've been building that for ages. I was like, you know, I felt like I could have afforded the house that I needed. I could have afforded to do it on my own and I had the confidence. And then the the pandemic, I was a travel writer before and all my clients were kind of travel clients. The pandemic was like, you know, really brought an end to all of that. And it kind of shattered my confidence in my ability to do things on my own I think and not just my emotion not just emotionally but also financially I think it would have been a real struggle so then I started thinking I mean for the first year I just took the thought even off the table because you're just getting by right Mm -hmm. and then the second year of the pandemic I was like oh this isn't going away but my desire to have a child had only grown really in that time I really felt this emptiness um so I started thinking about it more and more and more 
Wow. And I'll, I'll just like, just to interrupt you there for one second, because like, my God, we are just like the same person. <laughs> you are a blonde haired, blue eyed version of me, because anyone listening to this who knows me will just be like, is that Ariana talking and telling her story? Or is that Ellie? Um, I'm a travel writer. I'm, you know, spent, you know, my 20s and 30s going out on dates. I was had a dating column. I had lots of drunken conversations with gay friends about if it doesn't happen by the time we're 40, then we'll, you know, potentially do this. All my friends were getting married. I was bridesmaid like so many times. Um, and yeah, 100% the pandemic hit. I remember going and having my first consultation with a uh, clinic uh, to check my AMH levels when I was 37. And I think it was literally in 2020, it was a Zoom call that I was having with uh, the consultant to kind of see where I was with that. But I 100% agree. You know, I was on the radio quite a bit over COVID because of my dating column that I had here talking about how single people during the COVID were just completely ignored by government. And, you know, are for women in, in the age that we were, the best sort of the last few years of our, re, you know, procreation lives were just being wasted and we weren't allowed to do anything. And it was so hard. And we still have not been acknowledged by that in terms of how that's affected us. And even I'm so angry here in Ireland because we recently just announced um, funding for IVF for, for, um, for the first time ever have funding has been announced but if you are over the age of 41 you don't get it if you are uh same sex or you know part of the lgbtq you don't get it um horrendous like just a, you know no acknowledgement for those people that were going through all of that it was awful yeah. wasn't it it's the same in the uk that if you are single um it's a postcode lottery so you may get it in your borough you might not in mine you don't because there's so much pressure on facilities already I think if you're over 40 you get in very minimal rounds over 42 you get nothing you know same-sex couples you have to prove that you've tried a certain number of times by IUI which you have to pay for by which time you've done that you may as well have just paid for IVF if I had had longer I would have tried to fight it in the courts or something but actually I just didn't really have the time but I do agree we, we forget like we've all come out of COVID like as if we've all had breakdowns and yeah maybe we have I've had a baby you know but like we just forget how awful and how lonely that time was and I know some people did like um online literally online dating like dating on zoom I remember when restrictions started being less strict seeing people in parks obviously on dates sitting yeah. in meetings I mean, you're not going to get pregnant sitting in the park a meter apart, are you? Like, it, <laughs> it, it just like actually squashed. It just squashed things. It squashed us, and it's taken a, t a while to come back into our own our own shape. And you know, it's really easy to forget though what we, what we've been through. I think. 100%. And I think, you know, the reason why I started this podcast in terms of solo power is because I've seen such a trend in the world of soloism. And, um, you know, solo travel searches went up by 728%. Solo women, women having babies, 3,000 women had babies by um, donor insemination last year versus 750 or something the year before. Like such a, a rise in, in that. And I think I actually feel so privileged now that we live in a time where these options are available to us as women um, and that these are, uh, you know, for so many women previously who had to quell their desire for motherhood and their maternal instinct because there was just nothing they could do about it. And how, how lucky we are now to be in a position where we can make our own decisions and do what's right for us. Yeah, I feel so incredibly privileged and empowered to have gone from a position where being single was a place of kind of like, whoa, I suppose, and like, oh, poor me, and like, maybe I won't get to have a family, to have gone through this kind of like total mindset shift where by having Sid has been so incredibly positive and I've been able to have a baby that really represents my values of like love and inclusion and positivity um, and where I was able to have, you know, Eddie is the dad and Jack's his partner, but, you know, where we really truly share the same values. We've known each other for over 20 years. Um, we really truly, sh well, as much as we can share the, share the childcare, like I've got so much love and support and all of our friends and all of our family are so supportive too. Sid is like the centre of this huge community. Wow. You know, he's such a loved baby. And like, there's no 
person I would have met in the last 10 years of my life that I could say the same. And I, although I do know loads of happy couples with happy children, you know, I, I, I think that we're in such a strong position, mm. you know, like one of the things that we did quite early on was like, we went to a hotel room, we sat down in the hotel and we kind of like, went through this co-parenting document which by the way has no legal standing but we downloaded from the internet and it did sort of like make us really focus on loads of you know some quite cringy um personal questions but you know about our finances and about how what our visions would be in education and religion and all that kind of stuff and like we laughed at the time we were like why don't ordinary people have to do this you know mm-hmm. on a footing where all you really need for a baby is love shelter and food you know mm-hmm. and as long as you've got those things but you're coming from an aligned place and I think that you know loads of people can just go and have babies whereas we couldn't just go and have a baby but we we did really really think about it first and so yeah I feel I feel empowered by that and, and honored and, and really privileged that I could could take absolutely that. and I completely understand you know I've been having those conversations as well with and and it's wild the things that you consider and that you talk about which I know 100% of the fact that my friends who are in what I call now love relationships um having a having a baby you know don't talk about it. it's um just I, and I, I mean I was interested to ask you just because I, I we're, we're jumping ahead and I want to kind of go back to how you had that conversation initially but when you talked about sort of feeling sad about being single and things like that just for anyone who's listening who might be you know I actually met a woman last night on a night out who had done two rounds of IVF um to have a baby on her own and unfortunately it didn't work out she's 45 now and she's she's at peace with it and she's happy with it and she was going out on a date and you know we were chatting about that but in terms of your values that you mentioned there, like, cause I did some work on myself and I realized I was worrying that there was something wrong with me. Why wasn't I meeting someone? And then I did some work and I realized that my values that I held high were independence and freedom, much higher than security and sort of settling down. And I realized then that, you know, that was what I was subconsciously putting out into the world. Have you kind of done any of that kind of, you know, insight as well into yourself? Yeah, I mean that really rings a, rings a bell with me, and like I, I I value freedom so much, and and independence, and independence of thought, and independence to travel, um, and and some of the most amazing journeys that I've done, I wouldn't really have, you know, when I went to the Antarctic, for example, I just got an email in my inbox on like a Thursday night saying ridiculous question. And then I opened the email. I was like, that's my kind of question. And I opened the email and then it said, would you like to go to the Antarctic tomorrow? And I could say yes to that. Wow. tons of things that you couldn't say and that was one of my most incredible journeys I've ever done. And there's loads of things you just couldn't, you can't say yes to like, you know, I think, Although, of course, it'd be amazing to meet the right person um, who embodied all your values as well and was able to support you in your decisions. I think a lot about being in a relationship can can slightly clip your wings, especially clip women's wings. Mm. And for me, that feeling of being um, uh, squashed, I guess, I, I, I don't want to say anything that's negative, people who are in relationships, but... Yes feeling of not being able to completely make your own decisions really feels suffocating to me mm-hmm. and I actually although Eddie and Jack are amazing it's one of the things that we're all still getting used to is that although they are in a relationship and I am still single now we have Sid we're all in a relationship mm-hmm. and how do you make that work mm-hmm. so that's something that we're still learning but you know I, I'm not used to being in that kind of relationship where you have to be um, it sounds like I'm an inconsiderate person I'm not but where you have to be so considerate of other people's feelings or not just of their feelings because I think that comes naturally to me but of what they want to do and when they want to do it you know mm. Mm. yeah it's so interesting um, like I, I've been having conversations with friends about this and one of the concerns that, that they had is is that it is kind of like entering into a relationship another relationship of sorts and obviously they are in a relationship and I'm the single Pringle in, in, in that whereas for me I wasn't it's interesting because they brought that up. It wasn't something that I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about it being a relationship. Obviously the relationship is to the child, not necessarily between each other, but of course, I suppose it all gets tangled up a little bit, but let's go back. Let's go back because tell me, so 
we're in COVID, the government are shitting all over us, we're not going out and having sex, we're, you know, we're, our biological clock is booming loudly, I'm saying R now, because we're, we're the same person, Ellie, <laughs> I'm completely there with you, I know exactly what that was feeling like, I went on some of those park dates, like horrendous, um, <laughs> Jesus, but so, so how did that, because I know for me, and, and people that I've talked to about, about solo parenting, or deciding to have a baby, on your own is the decision is the, the hardest part um so you know when when was that moment for you where you kind of felt like the decision had been made yeah so you you could be faffing around over the decision for ages like you kind of decided like I kind of had decided but then it was like oh my god how am I going to do it and then the pandemic came along and I kind of take a step back from it and you're just thinking about survival and then the first spring came and it was that gorgeous spring weather do you remember it was so lovely and then everywhere you look, you're just like seeing babies and like the weather was gorgeous. And then I really started thinking, and then, you know, that summer I was 39. And then um, I think going into that winter, I wrote a story about it for a newspaper and it was called The Anti-Pregnancy Pandemic. And as part of that story, I interviewed lots of different women, one of whom had, I think, was acting kind of out of a sense of urgency and she um it was a friend of mine and she had just ordered her sperm um so I interviewed her and about her decision making process I interviewed somebody else who the pandemic had made her say no I definitely do not want to have children and then I interviewed someone and perhaps the most impactful person um for, for me anyway was somebody who had been due, was going to break up with their partner mm-hmm. and then the pandemic came along and suddenly she changed her mind she's going to stay with them because the idea she was like 38 or something and the idea of you know moving out on her own trying to find a new relationship and she definitely knew she wants to baby in a pandemic was so overwhelming she decided to stay with her partner and she was pregnant and she worried every day maybe I've done it with the wrong person mm. and I was like okay right and then afterwards she texted me and she said you should do it no matter what do it and she said but do it on your own nice and she's yeah so and then so I just thought yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna do it and so it's kind of as a result of it was in the process of writing that article I actually asked Eddie okay. um I just was literally like, <laughs> literally like now or never you know it really it, it really was and I um and how did you know how do you know Eddie where does that where how where does your friendship stem so from Eddie and I um met working in a restaurant when I was at university so I was probably uh 20. okay Twenty, I would guess twenty, yeah, or twenty-one. I was working in a re- in a restaurant in Edinburgh called the Outsider. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry, did you get that beep? Um, uh, so Eddie and I worked in this restaurant, and Eddie also met Jack working there, although we didn't all work there at the same time. Yeah. And we've been friends ever since. Um, they have a business in the Philippines, and which takes tourists to really remote islands. And on their second year of running that, I went out and visited them. And I wrote a story about that, which ended up like on the front page of a travel section of The Guardian. And that kind of like um, was a trigger for their business going massive. Wow. Um, so that sort of like tied us together already. Um, and then I I knew that Eddie wanted a child. Like I, he'd spoken about it to me before. I also knew he'd be a great dad because I've seen him with, um, with children. Uh, so, yeah, I... I discussed with my sister and then I got really brave and um I actually wrote an email wow so yeah um uh, they were they were on lockdown in the Philippines um uh and so the easiest way to contact them was by email so I I wrote Eddie an email and I I actually when I wrote that story that you read I went back to that email and read it and it actually it did bring tears to my eyes wow wow so brave I mean you know like I've had that conversation as well like you know I'm I'm, as I say I'm still exploring it but I have had that conversation as well I just invited my friend out for a drink and was like so um (laughs) you know and it it's so it it is takes a lot of bravery it takes Mm -hmm. it because there's so many concerns I mean it's it's the probably the biggest thing you could ever ask anyone apart from will you marry me right probably even more so than that I would imagine yeah Yeah. um and also you know there's concerns about your friendship being affected especially when you've been friends with someone for that long like if they say no if they say yes what you know all of these things I'm sure through your mind 
Yeah, I like waffled on in the email for ages. I was, could probably get it up for you. <laughs> I waffled on in the mess in the email for ages. There's even a bit where I say, you know, if you want to say no, that's fine, and it promise it won't affect our friendship. You know, no bother. Like, sort of like ignore me. You know, actually forget if that anything kind of thing. And I literally, my heart was in my mouth, and I just felt like this hot rush of emotion. And I just, as soon as I sent it, I just shut the computer and I was like, oh God, I can't look, I can't look, I can't look. And I had crazy butterflies. And honestly, I think he replied maybe like an hour and a half later or something, uh, saying yes. And then saying, but I need to think about it. I'll reply properly in a few days. And then a few days later he did. That was exactly the same with me. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of one of the things that was important for me that was was that Jack was on board. Like Jack and I also have a really strong relationship. in a different way to Eddie and I and I didn't want to do anything that would put him out because I remember previously I'd spoken to Jack saying oh I really want to have a child and he said why your life is so great and I was like oh shit maybe Jack went maybe Jack isn't on board and then Eddie said no no no, Jack's up for it and then Jack actually called me out of the blue and I spoke to Jack and then Jack said oh have you and Eddie spoken about this before and I said no and he said well it's really weird because he was going to ask you so no yeah yeah wow oh my god that's amazing yeah, yeah wow. I know wow there, there was a weekend when we were going to go away together they were over in the UK and we were going to go away together and actually Jack's parents were sick so they couldn't come and um Eddie had been going to ask me that weekend oh wow oh how lovely that's so yeah. beautiful isn't yeah. it um and just so for anyone who's listening because obviously you know some people might be kind of going down the 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 donor sperm route um sort of the anonymously um and I, and again you know this is a this is it, it's just interesting for people to listen to this to understand like the thinking behind because I you know I know what my thinking behind it is so I'm just interested for you what was it about that that kind of you decided to n- maybe not do that and to instead do it with Eddie well, aside from the fact that I think COVID really did shake my confidence a bit and I started thinking that, you know, I've got a really loving, supportive family and tons of friends, but, you know, when it comes down to it, you're in it sort of on your own. And yes. I think I started thinking that I needed some emotional support. Um, and then also, you know, after meeting this um, woman when I was uh, going to Everest Base Camp, I was thinking about... Um, one of the things that she had said and which really resonated with, with me was the child having some kind of origin story. Yeah. So when I first asked Eddie and Jack, you know, we discussed a couple of different options and I had even said in the email, like, you know, you don't have to be a dad. Like, even yeah. if even if I could just know where their sperm had come from and you wanted to be like an uncle figure or something, yeah. then that I would consider that too. Then that would be worth a discussion. So for me, and I totally get it why people have anonymous donors and I did consider it. But for me, I started thinking that I wanted the child to have some kind of origin story. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's just that we had a holiday together once a year, yeah. that would actually have been that for me, I would have, I would have gone for that, for that route. And that's not to say that there haven't been, you know, struggles there weren't difficulties you know it's a lot isn't it merging two different lives into one or in our case three lives into sort of one or all basing it around a child and we've always been really positively wanted to put Sid's experience at the front of everything that we do um and you know in some respects of course it would have been easier to do it completely solo because then you're the only one making decision you don't have to compromise anything you don't have to ask anyone else's opinion it's also been so nice to have the have the support and have the love and for him to have that love mm. as well. So that was kind of my thinking, really. Mm. Um, and I know there's all other things to consider, but for me, it was about emotion, uh, emotional support, really, and mm. then about Sid's experience of yeah, a hundred percent. And again, yeah, absolutely everything the same for me. Really, it was important to have that. I'm a massive fan of things like long lost family, and you know, ha- ha- who do you think you are, and the DNA. You know, all of these kind of shows where people are kind of coming on feeling like, oh, I I don't know my dad, and I feel this empty hole, and I don't know, you know. And I was very close to my dad. My dad passed away 16 years ago. Um, and I have a very big family, and you know, my nieces and nephews all have very involved parents on both sides and you know I and I just felt like for me if I could if I could give my child the information about who one half of them came from um then then I should absolutely explore that and you know speaking to my friend about it and 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 we talked about it you know you know I, I the option of doing it on my own is still very much there and I think it's so brave for people who who do do that um 
Um, but for me as well, like that, it's just that having a little bit of support, extra support, potentially whatever that support may be that, you know, that it's there. Um, but yeah, for me, just the whole idea of like bringing something and in, somebody into the world who may in the future question parts of themselves and you know where they came from um and I know plenty of people who've had a baby and you know you just deal with that at the time and you give them all the information and you know you raise a happy confident loving child and that's you know there's absolutely enough love to be given to to from one person you know I totally get that um but I just felt as well that if I had a friend who I knew wanted to have a baby as, as with you, then making another person happy or another family happy. And, and actually how difficult it is for single people to have children, how difficult it is for gay men to have children with the hoops that they have to jump through from a surrogacy or a adoption perspective. Why not give that gift to us, to a friend rather than just have it as an, an anonymous person? You know, I think um, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. And I, I know that um, Eddie and Jack had explored the option of surrogacy um, and they'd ended up feeling that, that kind of wasn't for them, you know, so incredibly complicated. Mm. So it just felt like a real meeting of kind of minds. And it really soon we started talking about, you know, it sounds ridiculously idealistic. But in the very first thing we did was talk about a vision for the future, mm. you know, or what our ideal scenario would be. And we matched on so many of the, of the kind of big points. And then all the rest of it is just the nitty gritty, isn't it? All the mm. rest of it is important, but we matched up on those big things. And it, it's exactly the same. I just felt like if you could, if I, I would still have considered the option of doing it alone if they had said no, but but that was my preferred route and the one where I thought that I could get the most support. And yeah, again, that you'd be, you know, creating a family. They were mm. getting what they wanted. Mm. Um, and so you went on the IVF journey then. It was a bit of a long a long road for you. Yeah, so we went on, we didn't realise at first we were going to go on the IVF journey. So we, um, one of the first things that we did because it was pandemic and our clinics were kind of closed anyway, was we, and also they were in the Philippines at this point and I was in London, London, is we saw an independent fertility consultant called Jessica Bork, who is uh, Irish actually. Hmm. She's amazing. And so she advised us some things we could do to kind of like prepare our bodies and also what sort of tests we should be looking at so she could and then she sort of analyzes everything she was really brilliant and it didn't appear like there would be any problems so we started off um we always said that we'd have one or two goes kind of as naturally as possible obviously mm. not actually having sex um i.e eddie wanked into a cup which we got from amazon <laughs> um, we went um we went on holiday yeah <laughs> we all went on holiday together uh to Hydra actually just to like check in with each other in person that this was the right thing and I happened to be ovulating so we had a few wines and um had this like kit that we brought from Amazon for like 9.99 really ridiculous um and we had a couple of goes naturally and actually it didn't work um which was disappointing but we'd always thought that we'd have to go for IVF like you know the statistics like it takes whatever somebody having sex however many times a week a year to get pregnant especially at our kind of age so we knew that it was unlikely to work but there's always the fingers crossed oh my god and the kind of jokes like if this works all the IVF money that we'd put aside we would use that for a boob job for me after I'd finished breastfeeding so (laughs) no boob job for me we are (laughs) we're going down the IVF route and um we found a clinic in the Czech Republic, which is so much cheaper than the UK. I mean, I'm sure anyone has looked into IVF. It is such a corrupt industry. It's something that I really want to take chat, take on and challenge as part of my mission in the next 10 years of my life. I didn't have time to do it at the time. You know, I was old and things were urgent. But it is such a corrupt industry. It's not properly regulated. It is so expensive. They will literally sell you the world until things start to go wrong. And then suddenly, oh, maybe your quality is just not up to it anymore. Um, I had already been had sort of everything tested quite early on in COVID where they immediately started trying to sell me um, egg freezing um, and then actually egg freezing especially once you're over a certain age is just literally totally pointless Mm. and there's such high increases in women freezing their eggs since the pandemic because we're marketed at and sold at and told Mm. that this will solve our problems Mm. it won't. 
just interrupt there. I'm very quick because we were talking about this last night. Um, Again, you know, I was sort of advised to freeze my eggs when I was 38. But when I looked at it, I discovered that my if I had decided to have a baby at 41, those frozen eggs that would be frozen for three years and then thawed out would have the same viability as my 38 year old, uh, you know, as my the, the same percentage. If my if I had a seven percent chance of getting pregnant at 38, my thawed 38 year old eggs three years later would also be a seven percent but I would have been three three grand less in my pocket but I do know quite a few women in their late 30s who are getting their eggs frozen and I just feel like that again what I would say is anyone who's listening to this who is in your early 30s I would you know highly recommend if you're not sure about what your future looks like to potentially freeze your eggs you know in your early 30s you know 30 31 32 um, I would I would say freezing your eggs is probably a good bet at, at that point. Um, but anything kind of after that, I would say it's just again, yeah, it's just a money making machine, isn't it? Well, I actually got some stats up earlier because oh, it's so passionate about one of the things is that as many as ten out of twelve eggs can die when defrosting. Mm. That's if you're over thirty eight, um, yeah. and upwards of three thousand eight hundred pounds a cycle. Well, that's similar to the site price for cycle of IVF because yeah. it's almost IVF basically. Um, yeah. But if you're under 35, there's all kinds of great schemes. One of them I did look into, but I was already just turned 35, so I was not legible. But you can um, you can do some rounds of egg freezing for free if you donate some of your eggs to a woman who can't have children. Wow, okay. But that's good before you're 35, so that's definitely something to look into if you're yeah. open-minded and keen to go down the route. something I would have done, but I was already slightly too old. Yeah. Um but yeah, when you get to a certain age where there's really no point in feeding eggs, it's embryos that matter. No, and I think as well, you know, yeah, exactly, embryos. I think as well with with the egg freezing situation, I think what it, what it does, you know, I teach, I teach coaching, I teach digital marketing, I teach, and often what I say to people is, what you're buying more so than anything else is confidence. You're buying yeah. reassurance and self-assuredness, et cetera. And I think I actually have some friends who froze their eggs in their early thirties and I should have done it then, but I kept thinking I'm going to meet someone in the next six months. You know, that's just what I kept thinking. Um, But my friends who froze their eggs uh, have both have babies now and didn't actually end up needing the frozen eggs. And I think because they both got pregnant almost like kind of first go when they were trying. And I think it's because in their back of their head there was a, a reassuredness that they had the frozen eggs there and so it kind of made the process much easier and I think that's something that you're buying with that is that is that confidence really right um, yeah 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 um definitely I, it's something I really wish I'd done obviously you can't have regrets in hindsight I didn't do it and no. it's all turned out good, good in the end yeah exactly <laughs> I wish that somebody had really if I, I wish I'd thought about it soon and given myself that peace of mind yeah. And so you're on the IVF journey then. And, um, and you know, you, I know you, you kind of ended up having to do two rounds, right? Did you do or two transfers? I ended up doing three rounds actually. Okay. So we found this clinic in the Czech Republic where it's a lot cheaper. Um, IVF is incredibly complicated. Eddie and I ended up pretending that we were a couple because okay. um, it is so complex. If you're, if, you know, all all laws and rules around this need to be looked at because things are changing so much. It's really impossible to find stats about how many women are maybe having mm. partners, platonic friends or with what they call known donors. Because I think so many people do it sort of um, either by pretending to be a couple or do it at home or whatever. Mm. Um, but we know that it's rising. Mm. Um, we pretended to be a couple because you have to go through so many extra hoops. If you're not, the sperm has to be in quarantine for six months. Um you have to almost like buy it. It's more expensive because you almost have to buy the sperm as if you're buying it from a donor. It's really complicated. And then um, also the legalness of it is different. The um, um, Eddie wouldn't automatically be a father, like all this kind of stuff because you're buying the donor sperm. So um, we pretended to be a couple. Also in the Czech Republic, I think it is actually illegal to have IVF unless you're a married couple, let, let alone if you're gay. So we pretend to be a couple, rent the Czech Republic where it's cheaper. Um, we decided to do PGTA testing. That was partly so that we didn't have sort of, you know, I think one in three or two in three pregnancies end in miscarriage. Hmm. That is, you wouldn't even know you were pregnant. Um, so if it would be, you know, you, all the egg wouldn't implant and that's because of um uh, that's because of chromosomal deficiencies in the egg. So we decided to get all the, in the embryo rather. So we got as tested. And um, in the first round, we had all eight of my eggs 
fertilized and we were just like yay and then so that actually does mean it's good quality eggs which I was like so thrilled with and then every day you check in with them and like by day two there were sort of six and by day whatever (laughs) there was four and it just went down and down and by the end there were two which looked like they could be good so I was thinking like yeah we (laughs) you know we did we started out thinking there's no fertility issue so with I was thinking yeah game on and then they went off to be tested and um they both failed oh. and it was heartbreaking and up to that point I was <laughs> writing a column on it and after that the column sort of like faltered and then just vanished off the face of the earth because suddenly I went from this place of being really positive and you know being pregnant by Christmas and then it being like okay actually maybe something's not quite right here and it was really 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 hard like so much harder than I imagined like I hadn't really prepared myself for the emotionalness and the difficulties of IVF and then we did another round after Christmas because um, we didn't want to waste time. And then that round, exactly the same thing happened. And then we sent both the embryos off for testing. You have to wait like about two or three weeks for the test results. And a really great friend of mine, Ed, who is like a sort of mathematician at heart, he basically said, well, it's a matter of statistics, isn't it? If it's one in only one in three, and that's even for a normal person, past their testing, you one, one in three sort of... Um, embryos ends in a pregnancy and you've now had four go over testing one of those statistically will be a good one and I just hang, hung on to that and I hung on to that and I hung on to that and then I and then I looked to the, check the results and one of them was um good yeah. that was amazing and then of course now you know PGTA testing is actually really in its infancy and now sometimes I think god maybe we threw away some perfectly good embryos who knows but um one thing I wanted to avoid was like multiple um, miscarriages or because it takes your body ages to recover. And I already felt like I was a bit old. So we wanted to be able to sort of do the rounds as soon as possible. And then we always said that we would do up to three rounds. And the reason for that was we might want to make a sibling mm-hmm. or that, um, you know, one, even once this, so the chances of IVF working are so teeny, 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 tiny. You don't really realize until you get started. Um, you know, the fact that any babies are born, I think it's like an absolute miracle now. Um, so we always said we'd do three rounds. And one reason was for a sibling. And another reason was in case, you know, it was implanted and it didn't work, then I'd be all that much older again. So we um, did a third round and the third round really didn't go very well. I'm looking back, perhaps we should have just not done it. And that did result in a failed um, pregnancy in some eggs being implanted that weren't that good quality you know during that time COVID came back and I got COVID and fuck, I had a cyst and you know it's odds were against us we should have probably just drawn a line under it and that last round was just so emotional I think it really pushed us really to the limit of our friendship and uh, but we knew we had this one good embryo so after that round I decided to go away I went away to Burning Man <laughs> I had thought I'd be pregnant at Burning Man honestly I did and I thought I'm gonna go but that would be my you know I really wanted to go and you know there's tons of stuff to do there even if you're sober and just go away and and, and you know you know come up my chrysalis as this new being but actually ended up going not pregnant and I had intended to think about you know whether I could continue on the journey like really honestly to think about you know if this one embryo didn't work, like, would I continue with Eddie and Jack? Would we want to? Would we push our friendship as far as we could go? So we didn't want to damage that. Um, did I want to continue with the journey at all? Would I be a single mum? You know, to really think about everything. In fact, I didn't think about any of that. I just had a great time. And underneath, my brain must have done the work for me because I came out in this completely new place, a much more positive place. And, you know, really... I knew we had this one embryo. There's only going to be two of our, two outcomes. Either you'll be pregnant or you won't be pregnant. And that's it. And then if you're not pregnant, then you can think about all these other routes. So we came back. I had the date already booked in of the 17th of um, October, I think, to have the embryo put in. So I went back to the Czech Republic, had the embryo put in. Um, <laughs> and I always think now, and I like I said, I think, oh, I first met you in a Petri dish. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, yeah, I went away, had the, uh, had it put in, and um, really five days later started to feel incredibly violently sick. And I did think to myself, God, I, I think I'm I think I'm pregnant. Um and then the first test I did was negative. Mm. And I had a really, really big cry. And then I sort of had a bath and I emerged in the bath being like, okay, that journey's over for me. I'm gonna be Iris Apple. I'm gonna be the most fabulous person on the planet and achieve all my personal goals. I'll be unencumbered by children and it's gonna be fab. And then um, I was on a shoot two days later and I was really, really sick on the shoot. I said to the photographer, oh, I need a break. <laughs> I'm not well. And um, did a pregnancy test and I got home and I was pregnant. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. 
And are you still going to be the most fabulous person and achieve all your personal goals? (laughs) I haven't even showered today. Um, (laughs) One thing I've realized is that you can be both. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, that's so amazing then. You must have been just so, so thrilled. And and were you obviously concerned and worried then about miscarriage and all of that kind of thing? Or were you pretty much positive from the get-go or? Oh my God goodness no pregnancy is a wild ride and then you get the baby and it's even wilder ride um no everything was not all like super easy about six weeks in I had a tiny bleed um which was terrifying but it meant that um we did get about five weeks in sorry and I went to hospital and they were incredible and they did a scan and we saw the heartbeat for the first time so at least I knew really early I had a viable pregnancy and then um just before 12 weeks I had a really serious bleed and I I mean, I thought I was losing the baby. It was such a big, awful panic. Um, and I really, I just, I don't know how I would have coped. We went to um, the early pregnancy unit um, and then they did a scan and I, the, the SID was still hanging on in there. Wow. <laughs> and then after that, I did think this baby will actually survive anything. It was really like very, like a, my flat was like a crime scene it was very very dramatic luckily I was at home because I guess some women have to go through all that in public which is I mean women are just so strong aren't they Mm. um and then uh yeah then there's all these other you know he he was born with a slight kidney problem but uh, we just had a scan and his actual kidney looks back to normal so no nothing was straightforward wow um but but then also in my last part of my pregnancy I felt really great and like yeah I felt pretty I felt great like it was and the birth was you know really fantastic and so with the birth were both Eddie and Jack there or just Eddie or so with the birth we (laughs) best laid plans and all that we did plan a home birth Eddie made a four-hour playlist of amazing music to listen to we had candles we had our doula that we all loved they practiced setting up the room we had the birth pool slight I guess the slight hint of the trouble ahead might have been where to pick up the birth pool and I mean who are these people but we picked up the birth pool and the girl at the door had a baby in her arms and she said oh uh you're here to pick up the bad vibes birth pool and I was like oh my god Sorry, what? He said, yeah, we're the fourth people to have emergency cesarean with this birth pool. Oh, Jesus. Excuse me, what? You would just keep that to yourself, surely. Wow. So we got the birth pool and we sort of like, you know, staged it and baptised it with holy water and stuff. We didn't do that, but uh, (laughs) they did practice putting it up and filling it and making the room all nice. And then um, it was that incredibly hot week. And because I'm old and because it's IVF, you know, the NHS really want to push you for a um for an induction at 39 weeks and I really didn't want an induction at 39 weeks and I managed to get over the 39 week mark then I got to 40 week mark more pressure more pressure more pressure and eventually I did I, I my heart it was so hot and my high blood pressure is getting higher and higher and higher and I just started thinking am I doing the right thing for this baby you know like I would never have been able to forgive myself if something had gone wrong because I had been not agreeing with the doctors actually it turned out I think I was probably already in labour A and B, everything would have been fine. It really would have been. So maybe I wish I'd stuck to my guns, but actually at the time I had to do what was right for Sid. Um, And (laughs) so we went in, had the first little bit of gel induction. And then normally they say, oh, don't get excited. This could take five days. And there's all these different things. And you have about three more gels. Then you have this, then you have that, then you have that. And all the things you've been told about and you're dreading. So I had the first little bit of gel and then it's a Saturday it's really lovely weather I guess maybe they were understaffed because they said I would have to stay in but she was actually like oh you can go out for a walk and I said oh I just live in a hospital they said oh well fine just come back by four so me and my mum and Eddie and Jack went out for lunch wow yeah and then our doula came and joined us we had some wine and we got, came home and doula gave me a massage <laughs> went for a walk went back to hospital couldn't feel anything and they're like oh you're in labour and I was like wow. no she said yeah you're having contractions why don't you just go home again and come back at 10 or something so we came home and watched it's creek <laughs> and then went back and then I did start getting like period like pain so we went back to hospital around 10 and they have to take the baby's vital signs and Ed- Eddie came back with me that time and um 
uh, they take the basic vital signs. He was moving around so much they couldn't actually clearly read them. So they sent us out for a walk around 11 and said, drink loads of water, go out for a walk. We went out for a walk. It was starting to get quite painful. And I was like, oh, do you think we should put the TENS machine on? So we put the TENS machine on in what we lovingly call NHS Park, where all the crackheads hang out opposite the hospital. <laughs> and then went for a walk. And then suddenly I really needed to go for a week. So I <laughs> weed behind a car. Um, like exactly where I think my new friend Laura's house is that I met on the antenatal class at Weed Outside Laura's house. Um, and then I looked up and I saw the full moon and I was like, this baby's going to be born tonight. I don't know mm-hmm. anyone tells me this baby's being born. So I went back to hospital and I was literally like, the baby's coming. And they're like, no, it's not. I said, okay. Then they were like, let's, we need to take the baby's vital signs. They took the baby's vital signs during which time I, they were like, telling me to keep still. I didn't keep still. I was like kneeling on the headboard. <laughs> And, they, and then I said, they said, do you want to do us do an internal exam? And I was like, yes, please. And she said, oh, only one centimetre. <gasps> and I was, like, I was like, no, I'm, this baby's been born. And they said, no, it's not. And I was like, I'm telling you, all my family have quick labours. This baby's been born. Um, and then I was like, I couldn't even get back on the bed after I'd been to the I was like crouched down on the floor. And then my waters broke. And then I started like begging for... Um, what's it called like serious painkillers which I'd said I didn't want in my birth plan but we didn't have time to get that out of the bag um oxytocin yeah not oxytocin like what, uh, what's it called it kind of like paralyzes you uh, oh the epidural yeah I wanted an epidural which I definitely didn't want um, and apparently our home birth midwife later said that that's a real sign that you're about to give birth when you say you can't do it anymore and then because I was begging for that they did finally get me a private room in the meantime I was like trying to get Eddie to phone the doula the doula wouldn't come because she said yeah comes at four to five centimeters they wouldn't give me a private room because they don't do that until you're four to five centimeters anyway then they finally pushed me into a private room and then we were in there for 11 minutes and he was born <laughs> he just literally shot out but I mean it, it was painful it, was, it wasn't easy but yeah wow. so, so Eddie was there but we would have we would have had the doula there or if we'd known the doula couldn't have made it in that time we could have had Jack or my mum there even but it was just so quick so it's just wow. me and Wow. And he was born Pride Week? He was born on, yeah, he was born just after midnight on Pride, which everyone thinks is absolutely amazing. Yeah, which I think is amazing. He was born on Pride just an hour after his due date, yeah. Wow. Amazing. I love it. Oh, my God. What a... What a roller coaster all of that was. I'm loving... I'm, I love that story, though. But, like, wow, yeah. Again, another episode of a conversation just about how women are treated in the labor wards, how they're not listened to. It's just shocking. I've heard just so many stories of, of, of friends of mine who've, who've been begging for examinations and being told that they're not in labor. And then, you know, the baby's just born, basically. It's horrendous. Oh, they literally said to me, no, we'll wait until the doctor does her rounds tomorrow and see if we can give you more medication. Wow. wow. He said, maybe because you're in so much pain, you're holding back too much. And you're not letting, giving over to labor. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> nice. Oh my God. Well, so you had your beautiful baby boy and, and him being born in those 11 minutes and then being put into your arms. What was that feeling like? Oh my God. It was amazing. It was, it was absolutely euphoric and I kind of didn't, um, I still feel like a bit high <laughs> from it all this time later. It's just something that I thought maybe was never going to happen for me and then you know and then there's all this difficulty in making it happen and even once I got pregnant or it was really a roller coaster more downs than ups and then finally getting this little baby oh my goodness like it just all the um, hormones going around your body and just the baby is absolutely incredible incredible they don't come with a manual so it's you have loads to learn but they um are so instinctive that you kind of like learning from these little people it's really really wonderful right still sometimes I just lie in bed looking at his little face amazing wow and you said something so lovely to me or uh, when we spoke before which I've just been thinking about a lot and you said and you said I don't really like being a mom but I love being his mom which I just thought was such a lovely line to to say and I completely understand what you mean but maybe elaborate on that a little bit yeah, it's something I reflect on a lot. And um, I've got, oh, there's a really good book called Mattress Sense. Uh, I can't remember it's oh, by, yeah. but um, that, she talks about it a little bit. But, you know, like, I feel like I'm really resistant to having the pram with me ever. You know, when you've got the pram, you're just kind of like one of the pram people. <laughs> and then you look at all the other pram people, and you're like, oh, those are my people. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I think when one woman has got a pram, you're just a mum, aren't you? You stop being you. And actually, the thing is, you have a baby and you are very much still you, and you still got all your tastes and all your preferences. Um, and I think babies can override that. Like, I love being his mum, but I'm Sid's mum. I'm not just a mum or one of sure. the mums. And, and um, you know, even I think I found when I started showing, even though I had been so desperately wanted to be pregnant, I found it really difficult when people first started noticing, strangers started noticing, because suddenly you're not just a woman anymore, you're like a pregnant woman. And, of course, people can be nice and gentle towards you in a few seats sometimes, but that your body isn't your body anymore as a public body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all... Um, all your midwife's appointments or healthcare is about actually what's best for the baby, not what's, mm. what's for you. It's not your body anymore. Your body belongs in the public realm and it's totally fine for strangers to come and touch you or whatever. And I think that sort of rides a little bit into being a mum. You know, and people don't, you know, people, oh, how's the baby? Very few people will say, how are you? Mm. Um. So I I don't, I, uh, the collective of mums, I, I don't, I don't feel like a, a part of the collective of mums. Also, I think I'm doing things a little bit differently. You, you are a mum, of course, but you do, you are doing things differently. You're doing things your way. Mm. Um, I totally understand. Happens. You know, like I, I have a lot of my, a lot of my friends are are mums, but are you know they like you sort of said, you know they seek out the fun mums and dads at the crash or at the school gates and the ones that they know that they can have a few drinks with and they avoid the ones that they know are going to be on the PTA committee and all of that kind of thing. And but I remember my best friend um has two kids and I'm godmother to one of her kids, but I remember she invited me to one of their birthday parties in one of those cesspits of humanity where children go and. And jump into ball pools and things like that you know one of the kids zones and um I remember going and I, the night before I had been out playing poker in a casino till three in the morning drinking whiskey and <laughs> I found myself in this cesspit of humanity at, at nine o'clock the next morning um with all of these moms you know <laughs> like these moms but I remember looking at my friend and being like holy shit like she's a mom now you know um and just like she's still very much me you know my friend but it was suddenly seeing her as this person as this mom and just you know that that the shift the transition that kind of has to click in your brain but obviously some people do it a bit more than others um but yeah I just loved that line so much and and in terms of things that how how you're finding it now now sharing him and with um with Eddie like how are you finding that whole kind of thing yeah I have to say what I think something I found hard it was uh, is having to share <laughs> I mean you know you've just and I, but I think, don't think this is common just common to me I think this is probably all mums yeah. <laughs> uh you know you've grown this person for the first nine months of their lives really it's just you and them like I think pregnancy is quite an abstract concept to a man and until there's a baby there they're not really fully engaged or on board and then suddenly the baby is there and you know it's amazing that they want to help but also the baby really really relies on 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 you mm-hmm. and like even now that um, Sid's gone off with uh, Eddie and actually my dad and they've gone out for lunch and actually now it's much easier but I think he's over that four months period and he can go away for quite a long period without needing a feed and yeah it's really nice for me to get my time back I had like my first bath without him the other day you know but for a while you really I think it's your natural instincts to like mother this child like it is solely down to you at the end of the day no matter who you do it with whether you're married whether you do it with a gay friend whether you do it with a donor whether you do it completely by yourself however it's solely up to you to keep that um, little creature alive and your instinct is so strong telling you that so yeah I did find it really hard to share particularly for the first couple of months um, I think because of your hormones partly yeah and in terms of yeah but I think you know it is interesting because I think it is something that I think all moms kind of go through as well you know and like I remember my, my recently my friend saying to me that her friend wouldn't let her husband pack the baby bag and she'd be like oh you know he doesn't know what he's packing and they're like well of course he won't if you don't let him do it you know but I think moms do have a tendency to try it to sort of like take on that responsibility a lot more and feel that they are the only ones that know how it is right yeah, and you keep having to think, oh my God, don't criticize, don't tell them how to do it. They can do it, let them do it on their own. And I know that that's just not me. I know that's like my other antenatal mum friends do. <laughs> you know, that you have, and you're like, oh, you're, you're shushing him a bit too, like forcefully, or, you know, that's actually not not his preference. 
that's not what he likes oh and you sort of get really get to know their rhythm and you're like oh well if he cries like that he's hungry or if he cries like that he's tired Mm. and you get to know all these little nuances of them that I don't think anyone else would ever possibly notice or like he does this really cute little well he used to now he just rims his head off but he does this really cute little baby bird face when he's hungry and you know I don't think anyone else would ever notice those little facial things he does does all those little ticks that he has um Mm. apart from you and then, then you know, you want to share that knowledge, but also you don't want to be like overriding them the whole time. Mm. What have you found hard? I think one of the things that we didn't discuss probably enough was like the roles of all of our extended families. Um, and that's something that I hadn't really considered was would be all these other people coming in. And Eddie's actually just been away for a couple of weeks and um Sid and I really really had a lovely time just being the two of us and it was our first time the two of us and Mm. learning each other's rhythms and lying in in the mornings and you know I was like fuck it to the routine just hanging out with him and really getting to know each other and I think you know we've made this decision for now to live together which at the moment we've just found out I can see that you're not going on the background that we've exchanged on our house but we're living in my flat which is only a two-bedroom and that is really lovely in some ways. And we actually meant I've had a lot, a lot, a lot of support. But I'm also a single person and I'm also an individual. So what I found hard is that completely melding of myself into this other sort of more jellyfish organism, which is, I guess, our family, which we're still trying to find the shape of it. Mm. And so, yeah, it'd be a lie to say that I haven't found aspects of that hard. Um, do, you still feel, do you still feel or refer to yourself as a single parent, as a solo mom? Is that you know something that you still feel that you are yeah you know what I would say that it would be unfair on the boys to really refer to myself as a solo mom because I've had so much support from them and when they were away like I don't know if I would have got through it without them stocking the freezer with like spaghetti bolognese and chicken mm. and things for me to eat even when I was absolutely knackered and towards the end I did feel knackered like six weeks on your own with a sort of um you know newish born baby it is a lot uh but we loved it but but even when they were away the support was really strong so I don't know how how I refer to myself because I am a solo mom in some way will be but also I've got these great co-parents so yeah that is something that I haven't quite there's all kinds of things I haven't worked out right because you're just like you know you could put all the best plans and intentions in place I mean hats off to real solo mums because after the six weeks I've been trying to work as well like one foot's on the baby bouncer while I'm furiously typing away one thing I realized is that I worked way too hard before and I can actually get a lot done in really short bursts again I've had some really like um his god we we have godparents I'm not particularly religious but I just wanted to honor people who've been extra helpful to me and also to sort of really cement my support network mm. and they've all been absolutely amazing while the boys have been away um so I have and my mum and my dad have both been great mm. so yeah I've had a lot of support I haven't been totally on my own so it, I don't know if I'd ever really be able to say I'm a solo parent because he's being parented by a whole community mm. we I'm a celebrant and I do baby naming ceremonies we call them guide parents instead of godparents so. oh that's so nice yeah <laughs> Um, but actually I have a, I think I sent you I have a, I found a book in Aldi actually um, and it's called it's a husband all about families I don't know if I sent it to you, yeah, you but, did. Is that from Aldi wow yeah I bought it in Aldi and it's all about families and I remember picking it up and looking and seeing and there is actually a single or solo mom with two gay dads in the book which I just loved but I think it's just interesting just in terms of the language and I think you know our language is just evolving when we talk about you know non-binary and you know genders and we talk about you know throuples polyamory pansexual you know disexual all of these different kind of language and words that we and I think you know it it is something that is evolving and it is that idea of like how do you describe what you're in which is you know you are a solo single woman but you're in a co-parenting sort of situation and it doesn't feel like the language it doesn't feel like the vocabulary is there to describe it or has caught up with it right yeah I think that language fails us yeah (laughs) I think that this is an area which is so new to people and even I noticed because I went back to write something recently that since the beginning of our journey to the end of our journey I think the law is slightly changing and I noticed on um the um IVF forms that there actually was a 
some additional boxes for people doing things slightly differently but like you found in your research and like I found that there really isn't enough stuff out there and yeah we don't really have the language for it yet no and there definitely isn't enough out there it's very surprising to me just before we finish up conscious of time but um you know have you had any negativity just speaking of that new language new way I mean I don't want to dwell on it too much because I don't want to give any time to that kind of ridiculousness anyway but have you found that is there has there been well let's not end on negative so let's just laugh at it but my in day-to-day life no no negativity whatsoever I think even some people that you think might struggle with the idea have been so positive and when you see little Sid he's such a bundle of joy and such a content baby that you would it's been possible to say anything negative about situation however (laughs) when my telegraph article that you read came out um on my feed because I posted it on my feed it was just so many lovely comments and and actually after it came out women from all over the world contacted me including you um, you know say I find really inspiring would you be would you be happy to talk I'm thinking about doing it on my own well done you blah 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 you've given me the courage to dot 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 Mm -hmm. and it was I was on such a high of such a buzz and then I went into the job I did at the time because I was freelancing an agency and someone there said oh sorry about all the negativity your articles had (laughs) And I was like, what? Because I just thought that everyone was literally thinking, oh, I was amazing. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, I um, I made a comment and I added you. And then I realized that maybe I shouldn't add your personal account. So I deleted my comment. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he showed me on the Telegraph's Instagram page, my article and all the comments. And it, like, I was um, probably eight and a half months pregnant at the time. It's one of my last days in the office. And I, it was such bizarrely compelling reading reading all these hideous right-wing fascists and um christian extremists from many religions i mean vile vile hate speak and i couldn't stop reading it i could not stop reading it and to the point that made me cry and i had to go you've got to stop and it was laughable it's laughable now but i was Mm. pregnant at the time and i mean i'm not even going to repeat some things it said because it's Mm. so hideous but all those trolls just jump on things and it was just an insight of what it might like to be, be like to be a celebrity one day no but you know I mean how destroying it is yes for people yeah. but-, but you know what those and again I, I mean I think there was a case recently where it showcased that um that something like you know 10 million negative comments were coming from 57 accounts or something like that right so it was this had sort of like 57 people were somehow controlling oh, all of yeah. this negativity. And the way that they they jump, they, most of them hadn't even read it. They'd just seen it on Instagram. They they have these Telegram groups and then they post something they're going to hate on for the day in a Telegram group. And then all those people can just jump on it and hate on it. Yeah. So it could have so many comments of hate without people even knowing what they're hating that day. Yeah. It's mad. So it's been able to, I've been very easily completely disregarded it. Yeah. And I and Eddie and Jack are living our very, very best lives with this gorgeous little boy. And yeah. everyone we meet is so positive and so joyful for us. Yeah, so. and it's so lovely. I think any conversations that I've had with anyone of varying degrees of generations and things that anyone I've talked to about me potentially doing this as well has been overwhelmingly positive. There hasn't been any negativity whatsoever. So I think it is just a case of looking at those people in isolation. I think anybody doing anything that's slightly unusual is going to have some kind of comment from extremists and you know unfortunately that's their life that they have to live and you know we just have to look at it that way because it is such a joy to see your beautiful baby boy it's such a joy to see how happy your motherhood has 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 made you and being able to as they say be in that privileged position of being able to have that support with that the wonderful couple um and you know it's just amazing and massive congratulations and i i'm so so grateful to you for you know responding to <laughs> to my message after you know knowing that there had been lots of people being in touch with you it's been so you've been so helpful to me on this journey sending me information sending me things that I've needed and even just getting to chat with you and have this this conversation has been so so valuable and I really really appreciate it and I'm really happy for you <laughs> yeah thank you for reaching out thank you for having me on it's been a real pleasure to chat and I obviously wish you all the best please 
to keep me updated. I will. And we must, I might need to get you back on because it sounds like you have been a solo traveler as well. I mean, you know, we barely touched on Everest and Antarctica, but I think that there is a lot more stories there that we can talk about. Uh, Yeah, well, one of the things I did was go to um, Sri Lanka when I was pregnant on my solo baby moon adventures. Oh, amazing. Oh my God. Okay, well, look, we'll have to get you back on. But for now, I'm going to say thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon.